We're going to be continuing in our series in the book of John. Uh, We've been going kind of through it passage by passage. Uh, We spent a number of weeks uh, in chapter 13. Last week we got into the beginning of chapter 14, uh, which started off uh, in a verse that's familiar to us uh, when it comes to to funerals or comforting those who are facing death. uh, In John 14, 1 through 3, where it says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. And uh, again, one of the really interesting things with this passage is that we use it oftentimes in comforting those facing death um, or at funerals and those who have lost somebody. Uh, But Jesus uh, first said that to those who are still facing life. Like that was the comfort for those who still had life to live uh, for a number of years here on earth. And so it's a comfort for us. Uh, and I bring this back up this morning because we're going to be picking up this passage uh, in verse 4 here. And uh, in John chapter 14, verse 4, um, he's saying, uh, I come again, take you to myself, so that where I'm going, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Uh, this is just kind of an odd statement to me, right? Like, like he's talking about, you know, in my father's house, there's a lot of rooms. And, and I'm guessing the disciples in this moment are kind of like, okay, cool. And, and I'm going to go, like, make a place ready for you. All right, like, like really cool. Like, we're going to have a place to stay. They, they've been wandering with Jesus for two years during, during ministry, you know. And, and it says within Scripture that Jesus didn't have a place to, to lay his head. Um, if you watch the, the show The Chosen at all, like, they're literally carrying, like, a booth, a tent-type thing on their back, and they're having to chop wood and all of that. So they're, like, doing this for two years in ministry with Jesus. Uh, and here's this Passover celebration that they're doing. And, and Jesus is saying, like, like I'm going to go prepare a place for you in my father's house. I, and I'm just thinking about this. And in that moment, I would be kind of like, you mean, like, no more camping for, like, two years straight? <laughs> No, no more of this whole, like, um, okay, how are we going to eat? And, and, like, walking along and grabbing grain and, like, rubbing it between my hands. And, and if loaves and fishes were cool, but, like, how stressful is it? Like, we don't have anything to eat. Is Jesus going to do another miracle kind of thing? Like, it's going to be nice. We can go to the Father's house. Maybe he's got a first century jacuzzi type thing going on. And we can kind of chill out. And, and so where is this place? Right? Like you've been saying that you're from the Father, that you've come to do the Father's will. And, and, and Jesus has been saying this uh, throughout the book of the John and other Gospels in a way that it's clearly his Father is God. Uh, but also his disciples have been very mixed in the way that they're understanding this. Is he talking about God or is he talking about a human Father here on earth? And, and they're understanding. And so like Jesus just says, well, you know where I'm going. Well, well, where? Like, we've never gone to your father's house. Where are you going? Uh, And and in fact, this is how Thomas responds in verse 5. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And so here Thomas is sitting, and we see this this earthly response uh, according to human understanding. We know 2,000 years later with, with all of Scripture and our understanding of who Jesus was and, and what he's talking about. We've looked at this passage over and over again. We know that he's talking about heaven and a, a place prepared for them in eternity uh, with the Heavenly Father. But for them in that moment, they're only really considering that natural thing. Like, are we done wandering around for two years? Like, do we finally get to put some roots down? Uh, and so Thomas is saying, 
okay, we don't know the way. Uh, can you give us directions before you go? Uh, that way we can kind of get there on our own. And uh, we've seen this time and time again where people are, are listening to Jesus' teaching and they take it in an earthly way. Nicodemus did it, right? When Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The first thing that pops into Nicodemus' mind is, like, how? That that's just going to be awkward. I'm a grown man. Like, that can't happen again. Uh, and so he's understanding it that way, and Jesus tries to explain it, but it's not this, this full understanding. And so Jesus responds here uh, and then teaches the spiritual aspect of this. So I'm going to go. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Um, and Thomas says, we don't know the way. Jesus responds in verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father. And that's enough for us. Like, again, I think they're just wrestling with this earthly mindset of this. They're like, we don't know the way. We don't know the way to go to your Father's house. Jesus' response is, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one goes there except through me. And so, again, it makes sense from our perspective now, but, but put yourself back in that position where Jesus is saying, I'm going to go make room for you. Uh, and we're like, um, how do we get there, Jesus? Well, you get there through me, but you just said you're leaving. So can you show us the Father? Because then if we know where the Father is, then we know where his house is, and then we're able to go there, and we'll be able to find you. And so they're still not grasping this, even though uh, clearly to us, Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, uh, is this holy spiritual statement that has depth of meaning that gives us great hope uh, and eternal ramifications through this. But yet the disciples uh, feel are still in this moment saying, like, all right, uh, we get cool rooms in the Father's house. Like, how do we get there? What are the directions? Where is he? Can we meet him? Can we have brunch with him? Like, we need to start this relationship. And again, Jesus is saying, no, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. He just literally said that. And Philip's like, well, no, show him to us. It's like it's almost going over his head. I think one way um, that we kind of see that in the world today uh, even within our own context and the understanding of Scripture, uh, is how often uh, people just want some sense of seeing God, and, and then I'll believe. Like, like we share our faith, we share our hope, we, we share the, the idea of salvation and what Jesus has done for us and the forgiveness of sins, uh, and that through the forgiveness of sins we have a hope with eternity uh, with Jesus because of his death on the cross. Because we've repented, we've died to ourselves. We say Jesus is our, our Lord and our Savior. We, we can communicate that this world is temporary and all of the problems that we face, all of the difficulties, all of the sickness and death, all of these things, they're temporary and, and we have a hope in eternity where there will be no more sickness, no more dying, no more death. All these things have passed away. Like, like we can communicate with that. We can share testimonies about how God has answered our prayers. We, we share testimonies about how people even within this room have been healed of cancer. Like, like we have all these really cool testimonies and yet people will still say, but, but I need to see God. I need to see something so that I believe it. 
And if I see this, well, then it's going to be enough for me. And it's still this understanding of, of looking for something that makes sense to, to a human mind. But what Scripture tells us is that this is not the way that it works. In verse 12, now we've not received the First uh, Corinthians 2. We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him, and he's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. And so there's this whole concept within Scripture that, that goes along with the idea of that Satan has blinded the eyes and minds of unbelievers to, to not grasp the truth, to not grasp the, the reality of Jesus Christ, his love, and salvation through him. And really, the only reason that any of us get that, the only reason that, that any of us like walk forward in faith, is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not because of our own genius intellect that we're able to like look through this and be like, oh yeah, this makes absolute sense. But, but really it's this idea of God is real. He's spoken all things into existence. I, I've never stood face to face with Jesus Christ. And, and yet I have no doubt in my mind that he walked this earth and died for my sins. I have no doubt that, that I've prayed for things and seen God move in ways that are inexplicable. And we could have testimony after testimony after testimony of that. And, and for those of us that believe, those of us that walk with the Spirit, we're like, yes, God is good and He is real and we praise Him and thank Him for everything that we do. And yet, when we see miracles happen, how many times when somebody's healed... Doctor's like, well, we can't explain it. It's, it's God. Well, I'm glad that you have faith, but, but we can't explain. These things just happen sometimes. We don't get it. I was just reading a book um, on sleep, um, and, and this whole concept of uh, how sleep helps us to restore, um, it helps our memory, helps our bodies, like, like all of these things. And um, what was really interesting is the guy who wrote the book um, he believes in evolution. And so he's sitting there and he's going through this aspect of, of evolution and, and he just admits in the middle of this book, like, evolution doesn't have an explanation for sleep. Because if the primary driving factors of life um, are to eat and procreate, and within that to be able to defend yourself, but, but eating and procreating, you know, life kind of going, if that's the primary drivers of, of life, then when you sleep for a third of your lifetime, you're vulnerable. You can't defend yourself, you're not eating, and you're not procreating. All the things that like perpetuated evolution, and he's like, evolution just doesn't have an answer for that yet, but we'll figure it out sometime in the future. Like, like, to me, that's a perfect example of what this passage is talking about. Like, like here's this glaring aspect of, of truth in the way that God has designed us. Like, like, he created for six days. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. The way he designed us requires rest 
in order for us to be healthy and function, for us to actually lay down and sleep and pray for the Lord, our souls to keep, and that if we die when we wake, that we might see him. Like, like it takes this trust and this faith for us to be like, okay, I'm like checking out for the next six to seven hours, and, and I'm trusting God that everything's okay. Like, like he designed that in a way for us to be able to, to trust him with our physical bodies and everything. And evolution doesn't have an explanation. And so here we, we look at this and we're like, okay, we can understand this spiritually. God created all things. He rested. He designed for us to rest. We understand that spiritually. And yet those with an earthly mind seems like it's foolishness to them since they're not able to understand it spiritually. And so then their only recompense then is to say, well, we don't understand it yet, but maybe someday we will. And then they're okay with that, which doesn't make sense to us. <laughs> like, why are you okay with just saying, well, it doesn't make any sense, but we're okay. And, and so here's this aspect of that, and, and I think that's kind of what's happening within this aspect of the disciples who are not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, that hasn't happened yet at Pentecost 33 CE. So Jesus is telling them these spiritual things. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And they're not grasping it right away. So he, he goes to explain it further to them because they don't have this. In fact, later on after his death, he walks with them and then explains how the entirety of the Old Testament pointed forward to him. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes, uh, anoints them, and, and they begin to write Scripture as they are able to fully understand these spiritual things uh, and to be able to, to share these things. And so in this moment, while they don't still have that, uh, Jesus then explains the spiritual to them, beginning in verse 9 of John 14. He says to them, Have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. And, and so he's sitting here and he's, he's kind of saying this, which is still a little bit abstract, right? Like, like if you've seen me, You've seen my dad. How many people have seen my dad? Four, five, six of you, <laughs> right? But that's kind of what he's saying. Like, if you've seen me, you've seen my dad. And, and from an earthly concept, that doesn't make sense, right? That's why none of you, like, not all of you raised your hands. However, what he is saying here is this declaration within this passage. He is saying, I'm God, I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. We are one. I am here with you. I spoke all things into existence. I am the way. There's all these declarations that he's making in this moment that they're not fully grasping, but he's literally saying, you see me, I and the Father are one. That's why he can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They're not fully grasping it at the moment, but, but he's sharing that deep truth with them. Verse 7, even the words that he uses here, if you know me, you will also know my Father. This word know um, is Strong's number 1097, uh, which is gnosko. 
Uh, and this is uh, a relational uh, understanding, a relational uh, acquaintance, right? So not just knowledge of somebody, right? Like, like we can know about LeBron James. We can know how many points he scores. We can know this about a lot of different people because we have Wikipedia and we can put in anybody's name and, and know something about them, right? But how many people in the room know LeBron James? No hands. So there's a difference in having knowledge about somebody versus having that relational experience where, where you have had a relationship with the person. You're able to say, like, like I know him. I know what he likes. I know what he doesn't like. Like, I, I know his, his strengths. I, I know who he is. We've, we've hung out. That's what Jesus is saying here when he uses the word gnosko. If you understand me, if you've been acquainted with me, if you've hung out with me, if you've eaten with me, you've done this with the Father. If you have relationship with me, you have relationship with the Father. It even goes deeper in this, in the Greek word, like you've seen me, uh, you've seen him, is orao, uh, the Greek word, which is with the, mind, the eyes, the mind with experience. So again, it's, it's this relational aspect of being able to say, like, I know Jesus. Because I know Jesus, I know God. Because I know that is real, because I know that this is the truth, because I know that he is God, because I've spent time with him. We do that through prayer. We do that through reading scripture and, and getting a grasp of that. There's something that supernaturally happens that doesn't make sense to a, a strictly intellectual understanding of this. How many people within the room would say that they've spent time with Jesus? Like a number of us are raising our hands. Has anybody physically like seen him and like put your hands in the nails? Okay, none of us are saying that. We're doing this in this understanding of, of a spiritual relationship, of something supernatural happening. The beginning of John chapter 1. Does anybody remember how that starts out? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Right? The Word. Jesus is the Word. The Logos. What is this? This is the Word. I believe that that term was used very intentionally, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to call Jesus the Word and for this to be called the Word. The Word of the Spirit, right? And, and Timothy. And so, supernaturally, as we spend time in this, we're spending relational time with the Creator of the universe and Jesus Christ who loves us. That's how we know Him. Not just know about Him, it all depends on how we approach this. We, we can approach this thing with this intellectual pursuit of, I just want to have knowledge so that I can be able to, like, understand things. I, again, that's approaching it with an earthly mindset. But if we approach this in the idea that God is real, that this word is living, it represents Jesus, I want to know you. Not just understand, but, but to know and something supernaturally happens when we do this. It works within our spirit. Uh, this relationship happens 
We're knitted closer together with the God who created us and the God who willingly came and died for us. We know him. And because of that, we know the Father. It's this amazing spiritual thing that's happening that, that isn't fully understandable for those who aren't filled with the Spirit. But for those of us who are, as we read Scripture, it is alive to us. We can read the same passage five different times and it speaks five different ways to us based on where we're at in that point of our life. Again, not changing the meaning of Scripture, but the way that it ministers to us is alive and active as we do that. Because we believe that this is true and that Jesus is God, we, we take his statement seriously when he says in verse 6, I am the way, the life, and the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a very exclusive statement. He's talking about salvation. He's saying, I'm going to my Father's house. I'm going to my Father who I'm in Him and He is in me. And, and we are one in this very spiritual way. And I'm preparing a place for you for, for all of eternity. We created all things out of nothing. This is the plan of salvation. And they're saying, how do we get there? And Jesus' response in that moment is, well, you know, faith is a really personal thing. And, and it's personal to each individual to kind of find their own way. And, you know, that guy Muhammad that's going to come a little bit later, like, that's going to be one path. And, and this path over here towards enlightenment with Buddhism or Hinduism, uh, that's going to be another path. And, and, like, all paths lead to heaven. He's not saying that. He's saying, I am the way, I am the truth, and the only way to the Father is through me. He's saying it in this sense that we get in English, but within the Greek, it's even more explicit. The word way in Greek is todos, which means that the traveled road or the correct path and way of thinking. It is the right path, the only way. Not many paths. I, I think it's something hard for us to understand because if we're going to have a race right now to um, Madison, uh, how many people take the interstate? Okay. How many people take uh, Highway 14? Okay. How many other different ways are there to get to Madison? Right? And, and so this is kind of how we've accepted. Like, we can kind of choose our, our own path. But, but back when he is talking about this, and when you were heading somewhere, um, there was many different paths, but there was like the one true path, the one that is the quickest, the one that is the, the safest. Um, in fact, we have the, the passage in Matthew chapter 17 where Jesus teaches it this way. He's like, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. Verse 14, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Jesus, who spoke all things into existence, Jesus, who's going to be sitting uh, on the judgment seat, is saying there's only one way, and that's him. There is no other way. And even when you think about this, the way that God has planned out salvation it is exclusive when you look at the christian religion uh, according to scripture how, how are we saved 
by faith. Ephesians 2 tells us we're saved by faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Our faith tells us that, that without Jesus, uh, we were lost, we're heading towards destruction. Because we're sinful, we have no hope. Uh, we're not good enough within ourselves to make up for our sins and to redeem ourselves because of our brokenness. But that God himself willingly stepped down to this earth in order to offer up his life as a sacrifice as Christ Jesus, doing what we could not, accomplishing what we would never hope to be able to accomplish, and then freely giving it to us in grace and mercy and saying, follow me. Just let go of everything else and choose to follow me. And we trust him as Lord and Savior, and we're saved. He adopts us into his family. He calls us his children. You look at any other religion, any other religion that I've ever looked at and studied, it's all based on our own efforts. With, with Hinduism, trying to, to reach uh, enlightenment, it's all about our effort to be able to be better in this life so that we can be reincarnated into a better life, so that we can be better in that life, so that we can be reincarnated again. And, and if we do poorly, we might be a cockroach in the next life. It's all based on works. It's all based on effort. When it, when it comes to Buddhism, right, and reaching nirvana, it's about how good of a job can we do emptying ourselves in order to, to reach a place of nothingness is really what it is. How can I reach nothingness? By, by choosing to set aside, by my own effort, and it's something that people spend years of, of trying to like do in order to attain. It comes um, to the Muslim faith. It's all about doing. All about earning. And time and time and again, when we see Jesus saying, he's like, you can't do, you can't earn, you can't make it happen. What you have to do is give up and trust me. It's an exclusive thing. It's not based on our efforts. All he asks from us is to, to give up trying so hard to make it work for ourselves, to die to our desires, to die to our priorities, and to say, Jesus, you're my Lord. I follow you. I trust you. I put my life in your hands. Now you do the work. And what he actually says is it's already done at the cross. It's an exclusive faith and the only way, because it's the only way that, that somebody's done it for us. Because we can't do it. This is the truth of existence. Jesus says, I am the way. The only way to salvation is through him. He then says, I am the truth. It's the Greek word aletheia which is truth in reality, a, a fact or certainty. In other words, Jesus is the reality of existence. He's the standard of existence. He's the author and authority of all reality. He gets to be because he made it, right? Like I, I try and play games with my daughter sometimes. Um, and, and, and not like Monopoly, like there's some established rules there, and, and the authority on Monopoly is the rule book. Right? And so when you pass go, when you pass it, not when you land on it, when you pass it, that's when you get $200. I say that it was a contention in some premarital counseling that I did once. It wasn't real contention, but it was like, what's the biggest argument you've ever had? Well, when do you get the $200? I'm like, come on. What's the real argument that you've had? Anyways, 
But when I try and, and play the games that she's made up, like, it's really hard for me. Because, like, okay, um, you can't go two steps forward unless the green scarf is on the polar bear. What? Okay, well, I got the green scarf. Well, yeah, but the polar bear is backwards, not forwards. So you actually have to go back four spaces. Okay. But, but, but she made that up. Like, that is her reality. And, and I don't quite get it, but, but if I want to be a part of that, I have to submit to what she's created in that moment for that, that game. What we're talking about is all of existence, where God has spoken everything into existence. He has said the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. He has declared what is sin to be sin, what is holy to be holy, and he's saying all you have to do is follow my rules. And I'm going to do the work for you because you're going to mess up. And I, and I forgive you. I'm just asking that you follow me. There is no other way because this is the way that he made it to be. And that's what it means that he is the truth. He created all things and is before all things. And he holds all things together, Colossians 1 tells us. He is the standard of existence. And then he says... I am the life. This is the Greek word zoe, uh, which means life, but it means the absolute fullness of life. Reminds me of the passage in John 10 we covered uh, a while ago uh, where he says in verse 9, I'm the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Again, the only way to salvation through Jesus. Verse 10, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. This is that Zoe life. It is absolute fullness of life that is lived out according to true purpose. So much of what our understanding of, of life is, is just based on, all right, are we breathing? Is blood flowing through our veins? We call that being alive. And yet, how many people in this world walk through life with no real sense of purpose in a survivor, survival mentality? It's just something to be endured. How many people do we see giving up on life and end up taking their own life? Because they don't understand what it truly is and what it truly means. The fullness of life is only found in walking and according to the purpose that God has given to each one of us. If we try and pursue anything else, it is, it's shallow and it's hollow. It's as though that we're hungry and our body is desperate for nutrients. And, and instead of going and finding protein and finding good, healthy food, uh, we go to the grocery right now, store right now and get some peeps. You know, let's just eat the sugary marshmallow stuff. It'll give us some energy for a little bit. We might be able to accomplish a few things, but you end up feeling hollow and shaky because it's really not what your body needs. It's the same thing with our life. We can pursue the, the baubles and trinkets of this world, and it might give us some temporary enjoyment as we find some success in a few things. That's all temporary. And then what's the next success? And what's the next success? And then we try and build our identity on those successes that we pursue. And then when those things fail, our, our life crumbles. We almost feel like we have nothing. 
We look at sports stars that had a huge career in front of them, and, and then they're injured. And, and then they don't know what to do with their life. We find people that, um, within this own city, working for GM, had all of their security and success in that. GM's gone. Now what? We find people who reach the age of entire retirement and have made their whole life about their career. And now they're retired, and now what? And they lack purpose. That's because our purpose is not established in, in what we do or what we can accomplish or what our careers are. But our purpose is in who God made us to be and how to reflect him for the entirety of our life. To live in joy, pursuing him, knowing him, reading this, being in relationship with him, and then saying, Lord, use me however you intend. And that means that every aspect of our life uh, as a small child in faith of the Lord, leading all the way up to retirement and facing death, all has immense eternal purpose which is life, and life to the fullest. Because it's anchored in eternity, not in temporary things of here and now. We can find fulfillment and joy in all aspects and trials of life when we walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he gives us that Zoe, absolute fullness of life, only fulfilled through his design. Again, how do we attain all this? Just by knowing him. John 17, 3. We'll get to this passage a little bit later. But looking ahead, it says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, gnosko, relationally know you, the only true God and the one that you've sent, Jesus Christ. Again, it's this relational living with God, done through spending time with him. It's something that we have to embrace. It's something that doesn't feel natural to a human perspective. But as we step into it and as we spend time with it, that's how the relationship builds. It doesn't happen if we're just kind of distant. I, I've had friends that have moved away and uh, we had a relationship and now we call maybe twice a year and I, I really don't know them the way that I used to know them. In order to know God, in order to walk in this fullness of life, we have to be intentional about the time that we spend. We want to know him. We want to talk to him. We want to share our heart. We want to hear his heart as well. This gives us a fullness of life as we learn about Jesus, his character, his nature, his love, his compassion, his mercy, his holiness, his cleaving to the truth, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you want to know God more? Do you want to know Jesus more? you want this fullness of life? Pray. Read your Bible. Worship. These are the things that bring life. Father, we come before you. Uh, thankful for this passage, these clear declarations by you as you walked this world uh, of you being life, of you being truth, and you being the only way. Lord, we thank you that you've revealed these things to us spiritually. That we're able to understand them because of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that uh, as we rely on that and trust in you, that you would bring life to us, that we would know you more, that we would understand more through your Spirit and not through our own strength or intellect. Father, I pray that if there's those within this room that do not have this relationship with you, that they would realize by your spirit that it is available. 
and that all it takes is just the laying down of trying to do things our own way. And to say, I believe and I trust. Teach me, lead me, guide me, save me, forgive me, love me. This is the truth of reality and eternity. This is the hope of the gospel, the light of our life, and the light that we get to share with others. I pray that you would help us to be bold in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.